Welcome to the Brandy Show, Conversations With. The idea for this type of show came from the very concept of podcasts. They're available to anyone at any time since they stay posted on the internet portal indefinitely. Podcasts that are time-sensitive, that deal with issues of the day are fine, but after a month or so, they can be out of date. Taking advantage of the technology, it made sense to create a program podcast that would last. It's as current the day it is posted to six months or a year from now. Hope you like our series. Thanks for stopping by. Today, my conversation is with MSU basketball legend and national champion Gregory Kelser. Greg is one of those guys you can't help but like. I covered him during his days at Michigan State when I was working in Lansing Jackson. I followed him to the NCAA title with his teammate, Irvin Magic Johnson. From there, Kelser went to the NBA as a top pick of the Pistons. After three stops in the NBA, he came back to his home state, where he's carved out a wonderful career in broadcasting as the Pistons analyst on TV broadcasts. In my opinion, he's a hometown hero, one of Detroit's finest citizens and state's favorite sons. Here's my conversation with Gregory Kelser. From Henry Ford High School in Detroit, Greg, you went on to Michigan State, won a national championship, and then to the NBA, fourth round or fourth pick overall, played in the NBA. Now you're back home broadcasting your hometown Detroit Pistons. Basketball's been pretty good to you. You know, Jim, it really has. Um, I feel very fortunate because uh, I say it all the time, the game owes you nothing. We play it. We play it for the enjoyment. And for the lucky few, the blessed, the fortunate few, you may get a chance to uh, parlay that into uh, an opportunity to get an education because of the game. And then for the uh, even fewer lucky or blessed, um, you might get a chance to earn a living with it for a while. So, um, but the, you know, it all started with enjoyment. Uh, playing it in the backyard, playing it in the playgrounds and that sort of thing. But uh, it has been wonderful, wonderful for me, no question. Hey, and you're talking to a guy who's got the same thing going. When uh, I think about my career, it is my association with the University of Michigan at football that has gotten to me where I am now, and uh, I can never thank the game enough. And I know that you feel the same way, great relationships over the years. The thing I'd like to start with for you is out of high school, you came out of Henry Ford, um, and you decided, I'm going to go to Michigan State. Why did you make that decision? I remember when uh, when Michigan State began recruiting me, and it was, uh, it was kind of odd because um, I was at Henry Ford. We were playing in a Christmas tournament at Northwestern High School, which was one of the premier athletic schools in the whole state of Michigan back in the mid-'70s, and they had great athletes. Uh, in all sports. I mean, it was really, if you played for Northwestern, you had to be good. So we were playing them in their Christmas tournament, and they had Alan Hardy, who at the time was one of the best players in the country. And a lot of scouts were after him. And, of course, they were on hand for that game. And it gave me an opportunity for exposure that I really had not received yet um, the biggest school that I had been recruited by recruited by up to that point, and this would be like uh, December of my senior year of high school, was uh, the University of Minnesota, which was also a, a fine basketball program. 
uh, and I had already taken a visit to Minnesota, enjoyed it, and was uh, thinking highly of uh, of them and possibly uh, becoming a Golden Gopher. But Michigan State was one of the teams, one of the schools on hand for the uh, Christmas tournament at Northwestern, and I really, really, really played well. And uh, off of that, they began recruiting me. I got a chance to uh, meet Gus Kanakis. My family got a chance to meet Gus Kanakis. My father and Gus hit it off extremely well uh, because he's a great man, as you well know, a wonderful man. And um, they grew an immediate bond because my father was a, uh, a retired Air Force uh, military man. And, and I remember I, I started playing basketball as a 10-year-old. We were stationed in Okinawa. And, of course, uh, Coach Kanakis was a... Uh, was a World War II veteran who fought in the Battle of Okinawa. So there was there was a bond there that was almost immediate. We loved him. My mother, we all really, really enjoyed Coach and, and Vernon Payne, who was his assistant. They were very active in my recruitment. So uh, the number one contender very, very quickly. And, and Greg, you know what about Gus? And I think this is the time to talk about it. Uh, uh, Gus was a dear friend of our family because we grew up in East Lansing, and he coached my brother Art to the state basketball championship in the state of Michigan when he was a high school coach. And as a head coach at Michigan State, he was a guy, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but was set the foundation by recruiting you, uh, Irvin, and Jay, and, and some of the other great players that came in in the late 70s to kind of set the table for Judd and now Tom Izzo. I think Gus should get the credit for being some of that foundation that has seen Michigan State basketball flourish for the last 40 years. He was the one who got it started. He had a vision, and he shared that vision with my parents and myself. He talked about recruiting me in 1975. He talked about trying to get Stuart House out of Denby High School, who was the, one of the top-rated big men in the country at that time, and then a year later, signing Irvin Johnson out of Lansing Embert. And he felt that with that, we would be able to possibly contend and even win a national championship. Those were, that was his dream. That was his goal. And um, he said, Greg, you're going to start it off for us. So it really sounded good. <laughs> it sounded wonderful, in fact. And I bought in. My family, we all bought in. Well, and it turned, so, out, re- yeah, it turned out really well, too, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> hey, Greg, when- it, it turned out. Very well, except, uh, you know, unfortunately, Coach didn't get a chance to right. to, uh, to to realize that as as our head coach, um, I played one year for Coach Kanaka. But I tell him, all, I used to tell him all the time that um, he, he's, he's one of the three most uh, important men in my life, my, my father, my grandfather, and Coach Kanaka. Yeah, he, we lost uh, Gus in uh, 2019, and... I know our family lost a dear friend and a, and a great man, and so did the Michigan State University. But the one thing, again, you talked about, he set the table for Judd Heathcote and now Tom Izzo, but when you were a junior in college, Gus went out and recruited Irvin Johnson out of Lansing Everett and Jay Vincent out of Lansing Eastern. I was covering high school basketball in Lansing at that time, working for Channel 10. And did you know as a junior when Irvin signed up that something special could happen, Greg? Uh, actually, I knew it before then. Did you really? I got a chance to see him play. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think there are very many people that could say they saw Irvin play 
as a 10th or 11th grader and, and not come away incredibly impressed. Well, I watched him I as an, I watched him as an 11th grader and I said to myself, there's a man playing a bunch playing with a bunch of kids. This, he was that oh, special. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got the same impression. And I felt that as an 11th grader, he could have played at Michigan state then right then and started, you know, whichever team he was that good. And he was always ahead of his time. I mean, when he was in, when he was in high school, he could have easily played college ball. When he was in college, as we would find out, he could easily play in the NBA. I remember Judd Heathcote, he made a comment about Irvin when Irvin was a freshman. He said he is the best passer in basketball. He says, and I'm not talking about college basketball. I'm talking about all of basketball. <laughs> Greg, I remember. So right there, he was putting them ahead of everybody. I remember that quote. I, I got into the newspaper, I think the Lansing State Journal, and it created quite a stir. And Judd never backed off from it. He said, NBA, college, you name it, he's the best passer I've ever seen. Imagine how fortunate I felt, you know, how lucky, how blessed I felt to uh, be able to team with someone like that. Yeah. I remember when he signed. And now, uh, once he signed, of course, we had Jay Vincent, who, 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 who's another person who doesn't get enough credit for his role in turning Michigan State basketball around. But when the two of those guys uh, signed to play at Michigan State, uh, the longest wait I ever endured <laughs> as an athlete was that six-month, seven-month period uh, between uh, them signing and then, of course, the spring and the summer before we could eventually get on the basketball court in October of 1977. I mean, every day I would dream about what it's going to be like. <laughs> I can imagine that. And the other thing, too, the, yeah, the, Greg, went in, in 77, 78, when they were both freshmen, you guys had gone through that weight. You came out and you you went to the almost to the Final Four in 78. And, again, with these two freshmen – you were the Fab Three or Four before there was the Fab Five at Michigan because they led you to Kentucky. And you've said before that, you know, that year we could have won too. I've always thought that way. I really have. I've always thought that way. That Kentucky team that, that we played was a great basketball, great college basketball team. And if memory serves me, uh, they, they were number one the whole year. They only lost two games. But the two games that they lost were spread out, and I believe there were circumstances that um, that were such um, that you know maybe when they when they lost one of those games, the second place, the second ranked team must have lost, so they didn't lose their their spot. Uh, I don't think they lost their spot each time. I think they were in the end ranked number one. And when we faced them in uh, in, in Dayton, Ohio in the regional finals. Um, we believed we could win. Um, we'd only lost four games all year. They'd lost two. Uh, we just felt like we, we could compete with anybody. And it played out that way for most of the game. We had a seven-point, we had a five-point lead at halftime. We scored the first basket in the second half to go up seven. Uh, now, of course, that's not insurmountable, but we were pretty good at holding leads. <laughs> We were pretty good, especially against non-conference uh, teams, teams that weren't familiar with us. The two years I played with Irving, we only lost three non-conference games. And one was at Syracuse, 
One was at North Carolina, and then, of course, that regional final to Kentucky. The score of that game has been seared into my brain. Uh, we lose 52-49. to 49. And I remember coming away uh, in disbelief that we would only score 49 points in a basketball game. We were averaging close to 80. I, with that team but, in the town, that, that is an amazing number. You just can't it's imagine it's that. It's we would hold Kentucky to 52 points. I felt we'd win by 20. Oh, you'd win by 20 easy. But, but, but yeah. um, you know, it was a tempo game. And and a lot was learned in that game, I think, by Coach Heathcote. Certainly uh, us. You know, we, we played the Kentucky. We played Kentucky's, Kentucky's game. We played their, we played their tempo. We, we slowed it down. Uh, coach was conservative. We didn't run. We tried to nurse the little lead that we had. And that played to our discipline when it was all over. And that's why we only scored 49 points. Yeah. When that, we were getting the tournament the next year, there was never any putting on the break. No, no, <laughs> you all. were, you were full gas pedal to the floor that year. And in 1979, you won the national championship. And Greg, let's get to the game against Indiana State, which many people feel is one of the great college games of all time and really changed college basketball. But let's let's first go to the fact that you got to that championship game and, and when you won it, I've heard you say it was a relief, which to me oh, yeah. is kind of amazing because you'd think if you win the championship, you just, you're so elated and so excited to get there and all that other stuff. But you said it's a relief because you expected to be there and to not be there and not win would have been a failure. Well, the pressure was definitely on us coming close the year before. And then 1978-79 started off with us going to uh, Brazil to play in the Governor's Cup uh, tournament uh, in South America. And we were playing some really good competition there. Brazil, their national team was one of the best amateur teams in the world at that time. And we went there uh, representing Michigan State, of course, but maybe even more importantly, representing the United States. We wore United States red, white, and blue uniforms for that tournament. We oh. were we were the United States. We were not Michigan State. So oh, wow. that, that had to be, that went in. I was going to say, that would be a great experience. It really was. It was like the Olympics. It was like being at the Olympics. And so we played in that tournament, and we actually beat uh, Brazil in the championship game. It was a double overtime win. But it gave us the belief that, okay, if we can beat them and they're ranked, you know, number three in the world, uh, we, we should be able to beat anybody uh, back home collegiately. Uh, and then we started our year off playing a game, an exhibition game against the uh, Russians uh, at Genesis Dealhouse. Uh, the Russians had been going from college to college, beating every team in the country. All the top-ranked teams were losing to these guys. and we. Beat about sixteen points in Jenison Fieldhouse, so that that only served to to fortify our belief that we're good, and that if we stay healthy and we get a few breaks, that we can win a national championship. So yeah, our expectations were sky high. We felt like we should and, and would win a national championship. Now, you know that that's a four or five month process that you go through. When you go through that process, and it has the ups and downs. Uh, the ebbs and flows that our season had, and then you eventually do, in fact, get to the championship game. And if you're fortunate enough to win it, it's probably going to be 
more released in jubilation at the beginning. It becomes jubilation, you know, a little while after when you start doing the parade and having a banquet and and you go out on the uh, speaking circuit a little bit and and talk about it. Yeah, there's jubilation there. But our our initial uh, reaction or experience in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, the night after we won was release. <laughs> we did it. And now let's get some rest. And that was the sentiment of every guy on the team. That's amazing. The other thing about that game, and I don't know whether you can react to this or not, but after it was over, because of Larry Bird, because of Irvin, and that quote-unquote one-on-one matchup, which really wasn't, it was a team game, it became bigger than life. Did you know at the time when you were playing that this was a game? that in essence would change kind of college basketball? Or did you just go out there saying, we're going to win the championship, I don't care who's playing on the other side, and I don't care what ramifications it has? No, we didn't realize it at the time that it would go on to um, become uh, uh, a game that, that keeps its, its, its relevance, its shelf life. We knew we were playing a, a good basketball team. Uh, we knew we were playing a team that was undefeated. We knew we were playing a team that had a superstar in, in Larry Bird and some very good players in support of him. We, we knew that. We knew it was going to be a huge challenge, and we knew we had to play well. We couldn't just show up. And I think, too, um, Judd Heathcote did such an unbelievable job. You guys frustrated Larry Bird, didn't you? You could sense that on the floor, couldn't you? We prepared really, really well for him. Uh, we didn't have lot to prepare for him because we won our semifinal games on Saturday, the championship game was two days later, so neither team had a whole lot of time to prepare for the other. But we always felt like that played to our benefit. That's why I say, you know, in terms of non-conference, non-conference opponents, we fared pretty well uh, in, in the two years that, that Urban and I played together. We, we were 51-11, and 11, I believe, over those two years, and, and pretty, eight of the losses pretty were, strong. were conference losses. Yeah. Yeah. Eight of the eight of the losses were in the conference, and and uh, seven of them were on the road. Only one team uh, beat us in East Lansing those last two years. Guess which one? Did they uh, reside up Michigan. the road in Michigan. Ann Arbor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Michigan. I'll never forget Mark Lozer. Yep, uh, at the buzzer for two. So. We were we were ready to go. We were ready to play against uh, Indiana and to Indiana State. And to answer your question, um, I, I, I'm glad I'm glad that it was them instead of DePaul or anybody else because it would not have the same significance. And of course, the thing that 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 added luster, appeal, and shelf life, and Larry would take that as a uh, as a start, as a springboard, a stepping stone, and, and parlay it into a a magnificent rivalry in the NBA. The two of them have been credited for helping uh, save the league because they came in at the same time with a new approach to uh, basketball, and it centered around uh, unselfishness, passing, uh, fire, intensity, competition, and ultimately just winning uh, over individualism and, uh, and that sort of thing. And, and maybe that's what their league needed at that very time. And those two provided it for, for a decade. So uh, that certainly did not hurt the appeal and luster uh, of that game that 
started it all. Yeah, clearly you were a part of that seminal moment, which changed college basketball to some degree and then moved on and changed the NBA with Larry and uh, Irvin moving on to create what they did years later. But now let's go to Judd Heathcote. Uh, again, Judd was one of those coaches. We got to know him. Great technical and fundamental coach. Unbelievable personality. Didn't look like he was having much fun. But, man, could that guy coach basketball. Uh, coach Heathcote was a genius. Um, there, there's no doubt about that in my mind. He, he understood the game. He understood the importance of teamwork. He had his own unique way of motivating, no question about that. It, it, it wasn't for everybody, but he he knew how to get you ready for an opponent. He knew how to get you ready for a game. He, he knew how to help uh, you reach heights that you probably would not have without uh, the proper coaching. Um, and the thing that I really appreciated about Coach Heathcote was that he didn't play mind games and head games with you. Some coaches do. Coach Heathcote would tell you right up front what he expects, what he wants out of you, um, and what you have to do in order to be a part of his team, to be in his lineup, and to be successful. He didn't waver from that at all. If you were supposed to be out there playing, you were out there playing. Now, of course, if you did something that was a, a detriment to the program, he would always say no, no one is bigger than the program. Uh, if you did something that was hurtful to the program, you, you would have some consequences. But as far as, as, as you know, yanking guys in and out of the lineup, uh, messing around with your minutes, he didn't do those things. He did not do those things. He would challenge you. He would get you angry at him sometimes. But I'm sure the guy you played for um, uh, up there in Ann Arbor did yeah. the same thing. You know, I was just um, going to say, Judd's, you're you're describing Judd as I would describe Coach Schembechler. And uh, he did the yeah. same thing. He took yeah. you to places you never thought you could go. Uh, he knew what buttons to push to make you as good as you could possibly mm -hmm. be. And and. Judd, of course, was followed by Tom Izzo, who I know you like and love, and you're glad he's at Michigan State, and he was an assistant for Judd. Tell you a story. When Bo used to see Tom, because he loved Tom Izzo, he told Izzo, he said, you know, Izzo, your problem? And Tom would look at him and say, what? He says, you're a basketball coach who should be coaching football. <laughs> <laughs> and Izzo doesn't just didn't disagree with him. Well, you know what? You took it as a compliment. Uh I remember Coach Schembechler telling me one time, uh, you know, in that scruffy boy's Chaucer, yeah, you would have been a great Wolverine, <laughs> and, and you know that that was that was the ultimate compliment. I mean, it, it, it didn't get any better than that coming from the ultimate Wolverine. Oh, no, you're absolutely right for about him that. to say something like that. Yeah, that had so, to, that um, had to be pretty pretty strong for you. Oh, it was. It was because I know I knew how I know how you know the the the, the regard in which he holds that program, and and uh, that's not something he would just say uh, to anybody, and he certainly wouldn't say it if he didn't mean it. So oh. no, I, I that was that was a compliment from him that I, I'll never forget. Yeah, I guarantee, um, I guarantee you he meant it. But coach uh, Coach Heathcote was 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 great, uh, and he was good for me. Uh, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't easy transitioning from. Guskanakis to coach Heathcote at all, and and I'm sure the guys that were called to do that would echo uh, my sentiments, my thoughts here. It, it wasn't easy at all. They were two uh, vastly different personalities, 
and their ways of going about doing their jobs were couldn't have been more extreme, uh, or couldn't have been any 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 more different ends of the spectrum. You know, I'm thankful and I am happy that I got a chance to play for both of them because I learned a lot from from both. Oh, absolutely! And it was just a handing off yeah. of the baton. Coach Ganakis got me started. He, uh, he put me in the starting lineup. You know, the first game, I, I came off the bench my first three games at Michigan State as a freshman, and I played really well. The fourth game, I was in the starting lineup for the rest of my career. And that fourth game, we just happened to be playing Northern Michigan and Tom Izzo. Is that right? Ah, isn't mm-hmm. it amazing how fate and, you know, whatever it is, the stars are aligned and things like that happen? It's, there's a connection in athletics that, Somehow you look back and you go, that's amazing, but it happens so often, it can't be that amazing, can it? Who knew? I mean, who 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 knew? Yeah. That who knew that that would you know, what that would what that would ultimately uh, turn into? But you're absolutely right. It does. It happens all the time. You yeah. just never ever ever, ever know. know. Hey, from- you know, and, and and the other and the other thing about sports that I always say, and you know, I tell kids this who attend my basketball camps and such. Sports brings people together. Oh no! It, question. it breaks down barriers and, and and bridges and that sort of thing, and and uh, it 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 um it it has a way of of, of doing that. I play. I competed four years at Michigan, at Michigan State, and one of my uh, one of my greatest nemesis and a guy I could not stand to play against, and, and he didn't like me, and I didn't like him, but we knew each other only as competitors, and that was Phil Hubbard. Well, Phil Hubbard and I, uh, you know, Phil, of course, a great All-American from Michigan, uh, Olympian, all that. Uh, we we could not stand each other. But then we both get drafted by the same team in the NBA. We get to know each other on a personal level. And, and now Phil is a great friend. And a great, I, I was going to say, and Phil's as good a human being as you're going to find out there. You know, but he would, also, he, he would also compete now. I mean, that's the whole deal. Oh, you better bring your lunch. Yes, exactly. And you go against Phil Hubbard, because you're gonna be there a while. There's no backing down. Yeah, you know you. But, talk, you it, know that's how sports. That's how sports are. You know, sports can be. It is. It's 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 a great thing. People some people that don't get to experience it, I sometimes feel feel sorry for them, and uh, I try to tell them, and all of us try to, I think, relate to them how important sports is, not just for you as an athlete to achieve, but for you personally, uh, and and right. socially. Those things are those things are invaluable. The lessons you learn, you know. Go back. You got drafted in '79 in round one of the NBA draft, fourth overall by the Detroit Pistons, your hometown team. And you you talked about the difference between Judd and Gus. And you walk into the NBA, and now you got Dick Vitale for the Detroit Pistons. How did that transition go? Well, again, it was one of those things where <laughs> you you've got to adjust. To a different style of uh, of coaching, of uh, being taught and being pushed. Um, now, I didn't get a chance to play for uh, uh, Dick Pike. He coached twelve games into my rookie year and was uh, was let go. But I was very familiar with him because he recruited me when he was at the University of Detroit. So he recruited me out of high school. I got a chance to know him, and uh, I, I I I admired uh, Coach Vitale and. I liked him. I would have loved to have been able to finish the year at least uh, with him. I, I was not happy to see him lose his job. It was his dream job at the time. 
But that really, for me, served as another reminder that uh, basketball, at its highest levels, um, it's a business. It, it really is. Um, I was most disappointed when Coach Gennakis was let go after my first year at uh, Michigan State, and then I had to make the adjustment to someone new who I was not familiar with and who certainly did not know me. Now, it was pretty much the same thing happening all over again in my first year uh, in the NBA. You lose the coach who, who drafts you, who believes in you, and now you got to make the change to, to someone else. I, I will say this. Um, in watching uh, Dick Vitale lose his job, uh, be awfully down about it, didn't know exactly what direction he was going to go in, and then to see him rebound and find something else and become really good, really great at something else was also inspiring because when my career was over uh, after six years in the NBA, um, I was challenged with doing the same thing. What now? Thankfully, I was able to find something else. Of course, I kind of realized and recognized what I wanted to uh, a little earlier in my basketball pro, pro basketball career. So I had an idea of what I wanted to do. I started studying the, 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 the framework for that. But, you know, still, it, it can be very devastating sometimes when you have to leave what you truly love and then do something else. Oh. Uh, so in many ways, I would have to say that, you know, Coach uh, Vitale's story and transition to his what now, his something else, was inspiring, and I sort of followed that same path. Well, and you've done a great job at it now, broadcasting Detroit Pistons basketball with George Blaha, Hall of Famer. And I uh, want to stay with your basketball career real quick because you got traded in 81 from Detroit to Seattle for mm-hmm. Vinnie Johnson, believe it or not, the microwave who, of course, came to the Pistons and helped win NBA championships. But I would imagine when, going, when you went to Seattle, you had your best success, and your coach out there was Lenny Wilkins. And, and Greg, I've heard nothing but, you know, glowing stories about Lenny Wilkins and, and the kind of guy he was and the kind of coach he was. I felt very fortunate to uh, go to Seattle and have an opportunity to, to be coached by, uh, by him, by this legend, uh, who had also won a, a championship, coached uh, the Sonics to a championship. <clears throat> Same year we won the uh, NCAA championship. He, he won an NBA championship with the, uh, with the Sonics. And they had a lot of great players there. And I got a chance for the first time to experience winning at the NBA level because we didn't win in Detroit when I was there. We were not a very good basketball team. We were young, we were inexperienced, and you don't win in the NBA with that. Uh, but there was plenty of experience in Seattle, and I got a chance to get to the playoffs and, and enjoy all of that, um, playing with some great players, some all-star players. It was, it was fun. Um, and I love the city of Seattle. Absolutely love the city of Seattle to this day. I didn't want to get traded because when I got traded, I felt like the uh, Pistons were starting to turn the corner. We had drafted Isaiah Thomas. We had, we had acquired a few other players. And now we, I thought we were poised to, to win uh, games here. And after spending two seasons uh, not winning, I, I wanted to be a part of the uh, of the, of the turnaround. It would be like uh, playing at Michigan State for two years and enduring, and, and then you sign Irvin and you sign Jay and, and a few others, and then you have to leave there and go someplace else while that program carries on without you. Well, it's sort of what it felt like getting traded uh, by the Pistons out to uh, Seattle. 
But Benny Johnson was uh, disgruntled in Seattle. He wasn't playing very much. He wanted to be traded. So uh, Detroit felt like they could use his talents here. Uh, Lenny Wilkins felt like they could use my talents as a small forward uh, there. So the trade was consummated. Uh, Benny and I, ironically, were, were in the same draft two years earlier. I was taken fourth. He was taken sixth. If I had not been taken by the Pistons, uh, we had good word that uh, I would have been taken by Seattle. So kind of guess ended up where I was <laughs> supposed to go anyway or was going to go anyway. And Greg, one question about making the transition from the collegiate level to the professional level to the NBA. You're a broadcaster. You know talent. You know both games. What's the difference, the big difference between the collegiate game and those guys in the NBA? Um, well, the guy, well, physically, uh, there's a big difference because guys in the NBA are strong, they're big, they're matured body-wise for the most part, uh, and they're extremely talented. There are, you know, a- as you climb the ladder, you know, as you go from one one level to the next, there is a, a major uh, shaving off of the excess. And by the time you get to the NBA, that's the best of the best. So, you're not exploiting uh, too many weak links in the chain at that level because everybody can play. It's not easy becoming a professional athlete. And when you reach that pinnacle, you have to be ready every single day or night because you're playing against talent that is equal to or in some cases exceeds your own. It doesn't get any better. It certainly doesn't get any tougher. Yeah, I've always told um, people, when I was doing that National Football League games, they asked me the difference between the collegiate game and the pro game. And I said, look, when you play in the NFL, every guy out there is top gun. Every guy. That's right. And it's a little different when you're that's at the right. collegiate level. And it's the same in the NBA, isn't it? It's the exact same. It's the best of the best. And it was an honor to be part of that, to be uh, regarded as one of the best professional basketball player, one of the best basketball players in the world, because at that time, and even now, the best play in the NBA, the best play in the NBA. So to be in the NBA, it says a lot. Now, the the other part, that's the physical part. Now, the other part, obviously, is the maturity in, 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 in your attitude. You want to stay in the NBA, you have to be willing to work very hard at getting better. And if you look at the best of the best, they all they all keep getting better. They add something. Uh, they they don't rest on their laurels. They they're they're highly motivated to to stay on top. And and you have to be able to match that in in some way uh, if you're going to stick around. There are so many. Even now, the average NBA career is like three years. And we say, well, what do you mean three years? Well, because for every ten year career, every fifteen career, fifteen year career. There's a dozen one-year careers, so it brings the average down. There are a lot of two-year careers because certain times guys get to that level and they get complacent. They feel like they've arrived. We see that even more so now with some of the money that, that, that young players are able to make. That could be as big a distraction as anything. Uh, I always say the best are the, are the ones that can uh, put the money aside. Yes, a business, you want to get paid as much as you possibly can and go back to your roots, your roots would show you that you played the game for nothing. You played the game for the love, for the competition, and you wanted to get better and better so that you could play against the best. 
from the NBA. Now you're talking about the game as a uh, broadcaster. How do you like that? I mean, this is a great business to be in, isn't it? It really is. It really is. I, I, I love what I do. And you're speaking about broadcasting, right? Absolutely. Jim, I, I know I'm fortunate, and you're fortunate. You know, your tenure in the uh, in, NFL, uh, your affiliation with your alma mater now, and to be able to sit where you sit and sit where you've sat for as long as you have is certainly nothing that you, you, you take for granted. No. You, you have to look at it and feel a great sense of pride, but also a, a great sense of, of uh, appreciation for the opportunity because it's it's a it's a limited field. It and, is. and and there's when folks get these spots, they, they they have a tendency sometimes to hold on to them for a long time. There's not a whole lot of turnover. So to have one and to have the opportunity is 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 really a gift. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a true blessing. I've always and so I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I've always said, and it's an old saying: if you have a job you love, you won't work a day in your life. And I tell people, that's right. I tell people, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I know yeah, you so feel the I. same way because you love basketball, you love the Pistons, you're in your hometown. Um, the situation isn't any, but doesn't get any better than this for you, does it? It doesn't. So what I try to do, I, I try to treat it with as uh, with as much respect and appreciation as I possibly can. And in doing that, I work hard still. I still have great passion for it. I feel very, feel very fortunate. Every time I go out there, I pinch myself because this is doing what I absolutely want to do. And when I get a chance to talk to youngsters, I talk to them about that. Try to use your education in, in this time in your life right now to figure out what you, what you want to do and, and then do it to the absolute best of your ability. Choose what you want to do. You have that opportunity right now through education to choose what you want to do. And just like you said, if you choose it, if you end up doing what you choose to do, what you really love to do, what you're passionate about, you won't, it won't feel like work. And you won't have a hard time getting up in the morning to go do it. That's what, that, that to me is the ultimate for everybody. And knowing the competition for these few spots, uh, especially in the sports that we play, there's always somebody who just retired, some star player <laughs> yep. who just retired, who now wants to do this, who wants to broadcast, and and they get they get uh, they get those opportunities a lot. So I just figured, you know, I can't control that, but what I can control is how hard I work and the passion that I have. Hopefully, that will carry the day for me. And so far, thirty four years now, thirty you know, thirty four years. It's been holding up pretty well. It has indeed. Greg, when you came out of college, they called you Special K. You are still Special K. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. And I look forward to seeing you uh, down the road, uh, maybe playing golf, maybe hanging out. But, uh, gosh, you're a credit to Michigan State, everything you do, and the Detroit Pistons and all of that. So we appreciate you joining us on Conversations With. Well, Jim, anytime, and I want to say that you know I, what you just said about me. Thank you. It's generous. It's it's very kind of you. But I feel the exact same way about you and and how you've uh, gone on to represent uh, the University of Michigan. And um, whenever I see you, you you always have a great smile. Uh, you know something uh, really nice to say. You project positivity uh, all the time. I think you're a wonderful, wonderful person and uh, an inspiration for many and. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be uh, on your show. Okay, Greg. Um, not many people are going to hear me say this ever, but for you, I'll do it. Go green.
go blue. Greg's quite a guy, and I'll say go green to him anytime he wants. I respect and like him that much. They don't come along much nicer, much better, and as accomplished an athlete as Special K. Keep an eye out for more conversations with by checking my Facebook page, Jim Brandstatter76, or my Twitter account, at Jim Brandstatter, or the website, thebrandyshow.com.